Hey, have you heard about the Kingdom Business University? It's the most practical, hands-on business coaching program available today. Essentially, we handhold you through all the steps you need to build a highly profitable and highly influential business. The best part is we put you into a small group cohort, which means that we can hold you really accountable. Outside of your fortnightly session, you'll have access to an online learning platform 24-7. To find out more, go to kingdombusiness.com.au. Hey guys, I just did a teaching on the transfer of wealth. You know, it's a big topic right now with the pandemic and the global markets that are falling apart all the way around the world. You're gonna love this one. Well, hey there, gang. Firstly, I wanna say thank you. Thank you that you have been watching my videos. Uh, I just wanna say I appreciate it. It means the world to me that you would be on there. Uh, feel free to put comments below and make sure you subscribe to our channel. You know, one of the things that's been bubbling up inside of me a fair bit, uh, you know, is, is this concept of the transfer of wealth. And I'm hearing a lot of people kind of talk about it around the place. So I just wanted to give it my two cents. Uh, there's a lot of prophets who are calling it out right now, especially in this pandemic and the economic fallout. Uh, it's really prevalent today. So um, yeah, I just kind of want to take you through my learnings, my thinking around the transfer of wealth. And uh, hopefully it brings maybe some inspiration and some liberation, maybe even some permission for you to be part of it. Um, so I guess if this is the first video you've ever seen of mine, I kind of want to throw a caveat up the front saying, I'm not trying to make wealth. Uh, I'm not trying to make the Bible wealth. I'm not trying to make the gospel, uh, you know, reduce it down to wealth. Wealth is one small aspect of the kingdom of God, but my audience is entrepreneurs and business people. And so this is an area that we have been called and gifted and graced to play a part in. Okay. So I'm not trying to make it more important than salvation. It's way less, but at the same time, uh, you know, as entrepreneurs and business people, we have a role to play in advancing the kingdom of God. And one element of that is to be part of the transfer of wealth. All right. So, so don't just be writing me off if it's the first video you've ever seen of mine. Just bear with me. Um, so I kind of want to look at this transfer of wealth concept right the way from, from the beginning. So go Old Testament and then go to New Testament and then give you some real life stories. Um, and then maybe some just, just some teaching around it um, and so forth. Right. So what are, we, what are we talking about here? We're talking about Proverbs 13.22 as the anchor scripture. And it says this, you would know it well. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And we know inheritance comes in many parts, but one of those parts is wealth, is riches, is assets. Okay, one of the parts. So a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, goes on to say, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Isn't it interesting that those two are together? You might have heard the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. Same scripture, right? Now, it's interesting for me straight off the bat that it says, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. They could have used many words, but, they, but they're not. Like, you know, obviously it doesn't say Christian. It doesn't say believer. It calls a higher standard than that. The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. So one of the attributes that we're going to have to be if we want to be a recipient or a beneficiary or a cog in the wheel of the transfer of wealth is righteous, righteous in our dealings. And by the way, I don't mean I don't mean the righteousness of Christ that we all get on salvation. I don't mean that. We've all got that. That's a beautiful thing. I mean righteous in our dealings, 
okay? Because that's what's going to be the tests that God looks at that expose the heart to find out if we can be a recipient of this process. So the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. The sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous, okay? So, so what I'm hoping to achieve in this video and basically all of mine is to, is to, is to get the kingdom entrepreneurs to play upper level, right? To be more godly, to, to play, like go all in, in our role in the kingdom. And, uh, and that's going to mean that we have to elevate the level of righteousness in our everyday dealings. All right. That's ultimately what we're talking about here. Just a couple of thoughts around it. The transfer of wealth needs to be under the Lordship of Jesus. Okay. What that means is the transfer of wealth is not about the wealth first and foremost. Okay. I think that's a huge mistake of some of the teachings that I have seen around this is that they kind of make the wealth the end game. Um, I think that's a massive mistake because the wealth is actually secondary to the focus on the issuer of the person that gives us the wealth being God. All right. So so it's it's under the lordship that we get to take part in this process. The wealth itself is actually only one cog in a much bigger process. All right. I don't want to elevate the wealth. It is it is it is it is down here in importance in the actual transfer of wealth. And I want to explain that. Right. Listen, the wealth is not to be flaunted and used um, to boast unless, of course, like Paul, we're boasting in the Lord. Right. I, I have seen some teaching around the transfer of wealth where the end of it is these wealthy Christians, businesswomen, businessmen, who, who basically have all the symbols of success around them, okay? Brands, fast cars, big mansions, photographs of all of that. And their whole thinking is, this is the blessing of the Lord, which will make the people of this world realize that God's blessed me. I want to say that is swimming in the shallow end of the pool, all right? If, if we use the transfer of wealth for our own gain, then we've reduced the power of the transfer of wealth down to something about this big. It is part of the process. We can enjoy things, all right? We're allowed to enjoy this journey. There can be some spoils in here that we get to enjoy. But if the end game is that I get to look like I've prospered or I get some status or I get some power through the transfer of wealth, my guess is it wouldn't be long until the transfer of wealth stops because God's not trying to get some glory on you. He's trying to get some glory on himself. And if you want to be attractive to the world, you've got to do things in contrary to the world. And it's not in contrary to the world to hoard up things for yourself and cover yourself in all the things that look like worldly success. What's attractive to the world is somebody that actually works 180 degrees different and might attract wealth, but they use it for good deeds and they don't have self-interest. That's what gets the interest of the people in the world because it's different, all right? So uh, I meet a lot of people who are trying to show that, you know, their wealth on display is a picture of, you know, the, the fact that they are the son of a king or the daughter of a king. It's, it, it's, it's just not an effective way to change culture, okay? What it is is, is is using the gospel to flirt with the world, to get as close to them as we possibly can, and that doesn't pierce their heart, all right? I'm preaching a little bit of the minute, right? So righteousness will use the wealth for good. Sinners will use the wealth for bad. And when I say bad, self-interest, 
right? Sinners will use the wealth to advance their own agenda. The righteous will use the wealth to advance God's agenda. And that's, I guess, the difference. All right, let's look at some examples. All right, so if we go to, um, let's go to Abraham first, right? We go to Genesis 24, 34. So right at the start, we learn about Abraham. Genesis 24, 34. And this is, this is speaking about one of his servants. Um, and he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. So this is one of Abraham's servants who has witnessed what has taken place in Abraham's life. And he says, the Lord has blessed my master greatly and he has become great and he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And so some of that was given directly through a blessing. Some of that was actually given by Pharaoh, which you could also say is the wealth of the wicked stored up for the righteous. Okay, so so Abraham actually prospered. Now, it wasn't assets like we would call it. Right. He wasn't he wasn't uh, he wasn't collecting stocks in Amazon or, or BHP or blue chip uh, shares on the Nasdaq. It was camels, donkeys and, and those sort of things. Right. Animals were the wealth of the day. So. So he, he was blessed by God, okay, and, and he was a righteous man. Of course, he had some moments, like every single one of us, but, uh, but you could say he was a righteous man. All right, let's go a little bit further um, to, uh, to Joseph, right? So you remember the story of Joseph. There's a famine in the land, which is a little bit like 2020, all right? Uh, it's not a famine in the true sense, but there's a massive problem in the land, and there's a lot of people who are poor and starving and weak, Okay, so similar, and um, and we we actually get to learn here how Joseph deals with the famine. Okay, remember Joseph was given um, a dream as a boy, uh, and and kind of carried that all the way through his life, and he had a very colourful life, um, thrown in a pit, sold by his brothers, Potiphar's wife, thrown in prison, forgotten by the uh, king's servants, and then finally gets his moment. Um, but this is what it says, right? In Genesis 47, 13, it says, now there was no bread in the land for the famine was very severe, severe, um, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Now we know that those two places weren't particularly righteous, right? Egypt wasn't and Canaan was cursed. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Now, this is interesting because Pharaoh himself was not a righteous man, um, but Joseph was. And it's interesting that even under the rule of Pharaoh, God put a, a righteous man to be able to download the strategy in a dream that was going to get the people through a very hard time. When the money had failed in the land in Egypt, of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread. Why should we die in your presence? For money has failed. Then Joseph said, give your livestock and I'll give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So not only has the money now gone, he's basically trading the grain for all of the livestock. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle, the herds, and for the donkeys. Okay, so then fast forward a whole bunch. Um, and then basically he keeps trading and trading and he gets everything. So they said, you have saved our lives. The people acknowledged that Joseph had saved their lives. 
Um, let us find favor in your sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's servants. They opted in to be servants because they were so well looked after. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day. Now, I love this bit that Pharaoh should have one fifth. Okay. So basically over for the rest of time, everybody had to go and produce and one fifth, 20% of everything had to go to Pharaoh, except for the land of the priests, uh, which did not belong to Pharaoh. So Joseph was actually able to orchestrate an outcome where God's people were free, his own family were liberated, and um, and 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 the uh, and the priests of the day didn't have to work their land and give twenty percent because they needed to be priests, so they were looked after. Okay, which which is an amazing outcome if you think about it, right? But all of that wealth ended up in the hands of Joseph. Um, so that he could go and do good deeds and bring liberation to an entire people group, right? So there's some examples there. What about Solomon? We read a lot about Solomon. If we go to 1 Kings 10.10. 10. Uh, mm, yep, well, there's a, I've got a heap more examples, but we'll just go to Solomon because I like this one. So, you know, Solomon, he gets given a blank checkbook by God. What would you like? He says, I want a heart to be able to lead your people. God's like, that's the kind of, you're a righteous man. Could have asked for wealth and riches and the enemies, but you didn't. And because you didn't, I'm going to give you uh, a heart to lead. And he was a very wise man, but I'm also going to give you riches and wealth and honor and so forth. Now, fast forward a little bit to when he's a little bit older. And we, we hear about Bathsheba who comes um, sorry, the Queen of Sheba, and she comes and she's like, she heard a rumor how smart he was, so she comes and basically she finds out that he's way smarter. Twice, actually, she says, "This, what I'm seeing is not half, like what I heard is not half as good as the real story is what she says. And then she says, she gave the king 120 talents of gold, right? Talent maybe being about $60,000 in modern terms, 120 lots of 60,000, plus spices in great quantities and precious stones. Also, so that's her, she, she brought him that, okay? So she brought all of that to his feet so that he could go and do his work of building the temple. Also, the ships of Haram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of wood and precious stones, okay? So they're bringing it to him. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Think about that. So basically, you talk about the transfer of wealth, all these wealthers, all the wealth of the neighboring regions and cities, people were bringing them to Solomon so that he could achieve his assignment of building out a temple that brings glory to God. Now, now he didn't ask for it. He didn't solicit it. They literally just brought it to him. That's a picture of the transfer of wealth, all right? Just like Abraham had, had Pharaoh bless him, um, just like Joseph downloaded a strategy and, and, and he was able to transfer that wealth, so too was Solomon. And, and all of this wealth was, came to him so that he could do the very thing that God called him to do, right? There's a lot of those stories in the Old Testament where those people who were righteous and they had a strategy, God brought the wealth to them so they could do good deeds. Now, if we go to the New Testament, they're, they're not as over the top, the stories, um, you know, because a lot of the a lot of the writings in the New Testament around wealth are actually warnings, okay? Because because they're warnings against storing it up and living for myself and and so forth. There's tons of warnings there about not living righteously when it comes time to finance. But just to give you some examples of of the transfer of wealth, right? You've got Joseph of Arimathea, who was, if you want a title, he would be like a modern day equivalent of the minister 
of minerals, okay, um, and like a, he was a merchant for minerals too. So he was a very wealthy man, and he was a dignitary, as well respected in the city. And he is the man who, once Jesus died, went and purchased um, the tomb and grabbed the body and laid it to rest because he had the wherewithal. He had already had the transfer of wealth for him to be able to live out the assignment of taking Jesus' body and putting it in a tomb, okay? And we obviously know what happened there. It was a wonderful part of the story. Um, you've got the story of Luke 5, which is Simon. Uh, they'd been fishing all night, caught nothing. And, uh, and Jesus says, actually, um, put your boat back out, but drop your nets to the other side. And they go and grab a boatload of, uh, of fishes. And, uh, and of course, that, not to detract from that story being, he goes on to say, I'll make you fishers of men. But just think about the wealth that he brought to Simon and the sons of Zebedee and those guys that were right there who were then able to use that trade, if you like, um, the profit from that to effectively launch their ministry, if you like, for them to go on and be fishers of men. So there's just a couple of examples. And then, you know, if you want a parable that talks about the transfer of wealth, you'd have to look at the parable of the minas about a manager who goes off to a distant land to get his kingdom. And then uh, he gives he gives minas out to some people and he says, trade them until I come home. When he comes home, he says, give me an account. Only three give an account. I've talked about this before to you guys on here. Um, and then he says to the one that was given one, he made it into 10. Now I put you over 10 cities. To the one that turned one into five, I put you over five cities. That, that's the kind of transfer of wealth that we're talking about that comes with the Lord. Because, because the person with one mina turned it into 10 was righteous and traded and was a good steward the Lord was able to put that person over 10 cities. Think about the influence of 10 cities. That's the transfer of wealth that we're talking about here because that's going to bring influence and currency to be able to bring the kingdom of God. All right, um, let me tell you an even more modern story. A friend of mine, Graham, uh, he's, he's a Brisbane entrepreneur. He's, he's been an entrepreneur most of his life, kingdom guy. And, of course, you know he had his pit experience. Business was going well, then it wasn't so much. But I'll tell you a funny story. When, when he was kind of at the bottom of everything, his businesses had, had some challenges. He was staring down the barrel of nothing after working, you know, for 20 years in this business. And, uh, and, and, and the banks had been unrighteous against him like they typically are. And, uh, and, and, and then he re- remembers that there is this block of land that he had as part of his business that when he was having some challenges, the bank didn't want. So it was kind of still owned by him. Anyway, he's despondent. He's like, oh, I'll go and find out about this bit of dirt that I've got. Anyway, he goes there and, and finds out that this bit of land that he bought for a song without knowing any of this, it, it, for a song meaning cheap, for those of you who aren't Australian, that he bought cheap that he hadn't really given much you know, thought to. He went to the council to find out about it and found out that it already had a development application and it had been chopped up into 64 individual blocks of land. And he was very quickly able to flick those blocks one at a time and make all of the capital he needed to start again. Now the guy is doing business in the billions and a very generous fellow, right? So here's what I mean by the transfer of wealth. He didn't orchestrate that, God did. And he used it at the right time for him to be able to use that to keep going, okay? Stories like that. You know, I've got stories of there, are, there have been three business coaches since I've been business coaching in 2006. There have been three business coaches that basically sent me all their clients. Some of them I didn't even know. 
right? Uh, I maybe know them now, but I didn't know them. They literally just said, hey, you should go and you sh- I- I'm not coaching anymore for whatever reason. Go and you should go where's. And I literally just picked up revenue after revenue after revenue after revenue, all this revenue from three business coaches that basically said, I'm out. You should go and see this where's guy. And, and for me, I, could, I was able to read and go, aha, uh-huh, that's the Lord prospering me because he needs me to do my assignment, all right? So, you know, I remember in 2008, um, 9, 10, uh, during the GFC, right? So property markets kind of came down, people weren't buying so much, and I was buying real estate. And I bought three houses in a very short window of time, 80 cents in the dollar, Right now, and 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 they were all off banks and things like that. So so you know there there was we weren't taking advantage of anybody. Uh, they were just from institutions that were big and 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 you know can can kind of carry that kind of loss. Although all they were trying to do was was effectively sell it for more than the debt on it, which they did. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is we weren't pilfering Auntie Mary, you know, to get twenty percent off a property deal. It's it's never going to be the transfer of wealth if you take advantage of the poor or the needy or the weak, okay? If, if your idea of the transfer of wealth is to screw some old lady, then that's not God, okay? The transfer of wealth is never going to take advantage or be at the detriment of somebody who is weak or poor, okay? Because, because that's just not the kingdom of God. That's, the transfer of wealth is so that we can help those people. You can't rip them off over here and help them over here and call that the kingdom of God. So, so I've got those stories, my friend's got those stories, the Bible has those stories. I guess we need to be on the lookout, though, for the transfer of wealth because it's a real thing and it's happening. Why is it happening? Well, we are not trying to get assets or businesses or stocks or property. We're not trying to get those things so that we can beat our chest and say, you know, we've got these things. It's not about them. They are simply just a process, a part, a cog, a tool to be able to facilitate the bigger picture. The bigger picture is if those assets and those businesses and those shares and stocks, whatever it is, if they are in the hands of a righteous man or woman, then they can be used to advance the kingdom of God. If they're in the hands of an unrighteous person, then they'll be used to advance the kingdom of dark through self-interest and all those kind of bad things, right? So this isn't about getting the assets for the sake of the assets. It's about using them for good. For example, right, um, you know, when, when you own a property and it gives you rent, you can give away that money, okay? You can give away, you know, whether, well, even dividends or, or, or stocks, whatever the asset is that pays you a yield, you can give away that money and it's sustainable giving, right? You know, if, if I've got one bit of money, if I've got one pool of money and I take that and I give it away, I've now got less, okay? But if I've got assets that throw off money, I can give sustainably into things and every single week there's a new check to be able to give that money away and it doesn't eat away at the asset, right? So we can fund our church. We can fund strategic projects. We can get behind organizations that are be in the hands and feet of Jesus. We can start our own organizations that are the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's, that's what the assets are for, which is why I said the assets, the wealth needs to be second to the responsibility. It needs to be under the stewardship of God. Because if our eyes go from God to the asset themselves, then we've become like the world. That's why the Lord is more important than the asset, obviously, because the asset is important, but it's not more important than the person that gave us the asset, right? We've got to make sure our eyes are on him during this process because like the New Testament warns, when that wealth comes, 
it's so easy for us to take our eyes off God when we, when we didn't have any and we were praying to God for it. It's so easy over a period of five to 10 years when wealth comes to, you, you don't walk away from your faith, but it's not that important anymore. And you start to get your status and your security from the assets and not from God. And that's when you're on really dangerous ground. Okay. So, so just some thoughts on that. Um, I think that we have to understand the concept of like, like a spiritual maturity when it comes to handling the wealth. Because the new covenant is all around warnings, okay? It doesn't say it can't be done. There's nowhere in there that says you should not have money. Um, there's a lot of instructions on how to handle it. But there's a spiritual maturity that the Lord is looking for during the transfer of wealth, all right? He needs to kind of balance... Um, bringing the money to somebody who can handle it, meaning that he's not going to want to bring wealth, supernatural wealth, to somebody when that person, when it's likely to hurt that person, okay? So remember, God doesn't have a, a fragile ego, right? Um, but we do. So so he he is more interested in making sure that the wealth doesn't corrupt us for our own sake than he is for his, right? He, you know, you know the scripture, you know, what kind of parent would give their son a stone if he asked for bread? Even our father, who is a perfect father, would do better than that. So he's not going to want to bring a gift to into our life that is detrimental to our life. So, so that's why he's got to manage how much wealth he brings with our character and our maturity because they both need to line up and grow over time. Okay. Um, let me. I'll, I'll kind of give you. I've got three things down here to kind of think about that I think God looks for in the people He can trust that can be part of the transfer of wealth. The first one is, I, I think He looks for people that have handled a downturn well, and by handled a downturn well, I mean they were still generous during a downturn. They didn't turn to pornography or drugs or alcohol or things like that, you know, when times went bad. And, and, and when I read those stories of those people and I tell you about my stories, every single person I've referenced has had pit experiences. They're all people that have had hard times in their life. And the Lord uses those. He uses the university of adversity to see how we react to those times. Because like right now with this pandemic, most of our churches have lost revenue. Some, I was talking to a fellow the other day that's kind of a consultant into church world. He was saying most churches are between 30 and 40% down in their giving, okay? So God's looking at the kingdom entrepreneurs going, I, 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 you know, what are they doing? You know, and, and I don't tell you this to brag. I tell you this to give an example. When the coronavirus hit, I decided to increase my giving 50% to my church, 50%, and, and we've done that. Okay, so why? Because I knew, I knew that people on a fixed income who maybe lost their job or now on some stimulus money were going to be able to give less. Well, being a business owner, I can just do more business or do another deal. The Lord can bring me something. So I need to honor that giving and go over and above to do my bit to make up for the loss. That's how I, that's, that's what entrepreneurship is in the kingdom of God. Okay, that's one example of it. So I think God looking at how you handle downturns to see you know, because it exposes our heart on how much we can be trusted. Number one, I, I think he wants to see increased generosity over our entrepreneurial life. 
if our living expenses increase at the same rate as our profitability, if our living expenses all of a sudden start to creep up at the same rate as our profitability, then we're exactly the same as the world. If you're more profitable this year, but you spent that extra profit on a nicer car and a new house and a Swiss chalet and a, you know all those, if, if, you, if you've spent all your increased profit, then there's nothing left over for the kingdom of God. You have not shown that inside of you there is a priority to advance the kingdom. You have shown that there is a priority to advance your own whatever, okay? So, so I think he's looking at that going, okay, well, your, your profits are up, but there's not much more money coming out of your business to fund projects because you're spending it all on whatever gratifies you, right? So that's, that's what I think he's looking at. And then I also think he's looking for people that don't feel any kind of status or pride from the wealth so that when wealth comes, it cannot change our position towards God. If we start to get our security, our status, our influence, our you know, self-pride, if we get that from the wealth, then it's going to be torn away from us. You know, we're going to have an identity crisis. We're going to fall in a heap at some stage in our life, right? It's prophesied in this book that the monetary system of the world will collapse. We don't know when. So if you, if you peg your identity to the monetary system of this world, then you are running the risk of a catastrophic disaster in your life, which is why our security, our status, our, you know, our level of, um, uh, you know, how, how happy we are with what we've got, how content we are, that's got to come from our relationship with the Lord and not come from the wealth. And I think he's looking at that during our life to find out, you know, will, is this person depending on me every single day for their provision, regardless of whether they're highly profitable or not? Because if they are, then I can get a lot more to them because they won't want to squander it and blow it on silly things. All right. You know, um, statistically, 80% of people that win the lottery end up worse financially. This is if they get a big windfall, worse financially within a 24-month window. 24 months from earning a million dollars or more, they are in a worse position than before they won the money. Why would that be? Because they do not have the mental maturity to handle the increase because it came too quickly. They're used to living on whatever they were living on. A million dollars gets dropped into their account. They do not have the maturity to handle it. Everyone, they start to lend it out, buy stupid things, give them money left, right, and center, not keep an account for it all, trying to buy friends, and they end up worse off. People take advantage of them. That you know, The ravens come in and just pull that thing apart. It's the same for us. It's the same for us, which is why we have to go on a journey over whatever, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, over our life of showing the Lord, I can be trusted with what you've given me today. You can give me more. And then when I get more, then I can be trustworthy with this. And then you'll get given more and so forth, right? So you can't necessarily speed up the transfer of wealth from God's perspective. What he has planned for you, he has planned for you. But I think you can control one aspect of the transfer of wealth, and that is to make sure that our hearts are ready, to make sure that we have the maturity, to make sure that in our everyday actions today, we are showing God that we can be trusted with more, that we are righteous in the first place in our dealings. 
and that we are content with what we have today and that we can be trusted with more money as it comes in and then we show him again. Okay, I've got a little bit more. I want to show you, God. I'm going to trade your way. I'm going to make sure I honor people. I'm going to be good with what you've got. My giving's going to increase. My generosity... If you're doing that all the way through, then it wouldn't surprise me that a big spike comes at some point in your life, all right? And because by that stage, the wealth transfer will not corrupt you. And if it doesn't corrupt you and God knows that, then he'll bring so much to you. And, it, and it's never the most skilled. It's not the people that had the best tertiary education. It's not the people that have the most letters after their name that will do the greatest work in the kingdom of God from this day forward. It will be the people who have a heart towards God that, that see that entrepreneurship and business plays a role in the kingdom of God. And one of those roles is to take the transfer of wealth and use that wealth to help advance the kingdom on earth funding our churches, helping our building programs, feeding the poor, feeding the weak, clothing the the naked. That's the stuff that the Lord wants. And you and I, what a joy we have as business people to enter into that, to partake in that. And then when we get to the end of our life, I'm sure we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, because we used the gifts and talents he put inside of us, not for self-interest, but to actually advance the kingdom of God. Anyway, I hope that was valuable. Um, it, was, it was fairly long, a bit, maybe a bit rambly, but um, we have to meditate on this. If, if I were you, I would go and take this concept of the Lord and say, show me, Lord, how can I prepare myself better for your coming transfer of wealth in my life? I'll be back in touch with some more content real soon. Love you.